Mark chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 29. Now, some of you say, Pastor, as we go through the book of Mark, it looks to me like you skipped a few verses. Yes, I did. I skipped uh, the question asked by the Pharisees about uh, the wife that had seven husbands. One at a time they died, she married the brother and he would die. And, and they asked whose wife would this be in the resurrection? I think there's a lot of confusion here. First of all, uh, something suspicious has taken place if seven husbands die, right? Come on, if she's feeding you mushrooms, you need to check out what forest they came from. Maybe the last one died because he refused to eat the mushrooms. I don't know. Hey, if a woman knocks off seven different husbands, I doubt she ends up in heaven. So there's just a lot of things here, you know, I didn't want to cover all those bases. So I decided to jump that story, leave it for a different moment. How many of you are okay with that? Some of you look at me like, Pastor, I'm thankful you didn't address that on a Sunday morning because I don't trust you with that text on a Sunday morning. Look what it says in verse 29. One of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, he asked them, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. The greatest commandment, look what it says, verse 30, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Now look at the next phrases. With all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Had God simply given us a command to love him, we could define or redefine love according to our own terms. But here's a very specific way we're supposed to love God. Let me ask you this. What do you love, as defined here in verse 30, what do you love with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength? That's passionate love. The last few days, I've thought, meditated, and I don't know if there is a more difficult command in all the Bible, because if it were just for a moment. Now, all of us can say at some point in our Christian life that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but it was fleeting. It might have been for a few minutes or a few days or a few weeks, maybe a few months. To sustain this kind of love long term is totally different. But this is a passionate love. And you, you see this. We all recognize it in different areas. I've had some people point at newlyweds and say, that, that fits in the category. Well, not really. Time will reveal if that fits, fits in the category or not. Because real love is lasting it endures a lot of different and trying circumstances. So maybe by superficial appearances, but I've, I've seen people who love money that way. Christians. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about born again, children of God, who with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength, they love money. It is their pursuit. I'm talking about some in this church. Truly, it is a deep-rooted, they go to sleep thinking about how to make money. They wake up uh, consumed by the thought, how can I make more money? 
What else can I do? What can I arrange or rearrange in my life? I mean, if, if it's not retirement, it's a rental. If it's not a rental, it's an investment. If it's not an investment, it's truly being consumed with what's the next step where I can make more money, get my hands on more money. You've got a spiritual problem. But it's not just money. It may be sports. To think... Listen, when you paint your face, that can, when, when you park your car four miles away from a stadium, you deal with $10 hot dogs and drunks and no one sits down in most of these stadiums anyways. You're going to stand. I mean, you find it difficult and, and a reason to complain if you have to park a block away from the church and park your carcass for an hour. We don't even make you stand. Can you imagine if everyone in here was so excited like they were at a UT game, they stood up for 90% of the service, and just about the time you sat down, they all stood back up again and cheered? You say, I'm not going back to that church. There's a good, comfortable chair, and I don't even get to use it. I mean, people are that passionate. Spend $160 on a jersey? Looking up the stats, memorized. I mean, he has 683 yards. You are a bored, bored person if you're consumed with that kind of garbage. You say, Pastor, the Longhorn's garbage? The, the, for the last 10 years have been garbage. <laughs> Throw the Cowboys in that category as well. No, I'm talking about prioritizing what truly we're supposed to love with all our hearts. Some, some it's their career, some it's a hobby. How many ever walked into a lady's chicken, uh, kitchen and there's like 100 chickens? <laughs> kind of freaks me out because I know what chickens do. It's a struggle for me to eat when I'm looking at scores of chickens. I have a strong sense of smell and if I just see the picture, I can smell the bird. Now, we laugh about that kind of stuff, but literally... There are women who are hunting the next, kitchen, the next chicken for their kitchen. It, it's passionate to a strange degree. But in life, we're all passionate about something. You love something. Or you're a really boring personality. If you don't love anything at all, except yourself. But have you ever thought about what we actually love passionately? And God says, we're supposed to direct that. Now, you would think of, of all the objects or things on the earth that could be loved, he is the most worthy of all. So, so you would think it would naturally, especially as a Christian, knowing the Bible and knowing the Lord Jesus Christ having been saved from hell, you would think that naturally we would be inclined to love him with this kind of love. It's just not the way things happen. Now, I got to think of this week. What is it that I love with all my heart, mind, soul? I thank God for my family. I thank God for my wife. I thank God for my children. But here's what's funny. Over the past three months, I look at my family, and if we have an all-consuming love, it's a little man called Lincoln. It's a grandbaby. We we gather around uh, the the phone. Lauren took a picture the other day, and all of us are huddled around the TV, and someone asks, you guys are big fans of TV? No, I, I don't even watch anything. I have no appetite for television. They said, why, why that look? Because Lincoln was being played 
over the TV by way of my wife's cell phone. And all of us were enthralled with this three-month-old baby who's making stupid noises. And we got to get our daily update. It's the strangest thing on the planet. Now, let me ask you this. All of us in life at some point have loved someone and felt that love is not being reciprocated. The same effort that I'm putting into this relationship, the same level of love is not being appreciated. And can you imagine God? the depth of his love towards us. Now, we, we do understand this. Let's, let's just go back. Pastor, this is too basic. No, it's not too basic because I don't think there's a single person that can raise their hand and say, I'm fulfilling this command as God desires for me to fulfill this command. Now, think about all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul that's all-encompassing. But here's God. Angels obviously can't meet that need. He creates man, Adam and Eve. He places them in the garden. His, his goal, his desire, he's, he's uniquely created them with this purpose to love him. And so they spend time together. Sin interrupts that. And from that point on, man has struggled to fulfill his purpose. Now, aren't you glad God is patient, loving, and kind? Because here's what we do in life. Man, when, when he feels like that love is not being fulfilled, okay, if it's a marriage, I'm going to get a divorce. If it's a friendship, I'm done with you. I'm going to find someone who loves me the same way I love them. Or if it's an object that's not fulfilling their purpose. How many ever had a fridge that stopped working? You say, not a problem, we'll just use it as a closet. No, if it's done fulfilling its purpose... It goes to the junkyard, right? That car no longer, it may still run. It's just for you, not exactly what you want. It's not fulfilling its purpose. Aren't you glad that a God that created you to love him doesn't say they're just not fulfilling their purpose. I'm going to send them to the junkyard. (laughs) Because we don't do, if a watch stops working, we're done with that watch. This is not a decoration. I want to be able to tell time on this. You take your cell phone. And about three years later, you say, this is useless. It's still an amazing computer. It just doesn't fulfill the purpose you desire it to fulfill. And here's what God says about his creation. You are literally on this planet. You are here. To love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Now, let's just, let's just talk about the last seven days. Who here can say in clear conscience, Pastor, the last seven days I have loved him with all my heart. Now, with all your heart, it's talking about that's the seat of your emotions. But this is a very, uh, to me, it's a very exclusive love. Here's what Matthew 6 says. Remember the text that says, no man can serve two masters. He'll hate the one and love the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, this is love. Your wife knows this. When you get married, this is exclusive. You're going to love me and only me. And this is the way God looks at love. You're supposed to love him 
and only him. This is with all your heart. Now to think that we would, here's what a woman does, trades that love for the love of a house. It becomes, think about that, literally. A house takes all her focus, all her time, all her effort, all her energy. Now here's what I need you to do this morning. I know we got a group that's sick and tired and tired of being sick and tired. And, but I do need you to focus for a few minutes this morning and do a little self-examination and say, okay, am I truly determined to obey the first and greatest command, which is with all my heart and all my soul, which means I'm supposed to be satisfied in, in Christ and in Christ alone. It says nothing else should, should consume me. We're looking for satisfaction in marriage and career and money and whatever else in this life. Th- that means it's, it's a love that, that says, we remember in Matthew 10, the text that tells us we're supposed to, if, if any man hate not father and mother and pastor, you know, what's hate mean? You know what it means? This love is a superior love where God... Here's what, here's what happened in your family. When you got saved and your life changed and you started loving God with more, not all your heart, but with more of your heart, suddenly there are things you can do with your family. You hate us. No, I don't hate you at all. I just love God more. Do you guys understand? I don't want to go through all this because with all our strength... What are you using your strength for? A lot of men love their job with all their strength because literally their family gets about 5% of their energy and effort in time and that boss gets about 90%. Their mental strength, their physical strength, their, we're talking about all their gifts are packaged up and offered to a corporation in return for money. And God says, can I have any of that strength? You're supposed to love God with all your strength. Now, I I know two things are happening in here this morning. One group says, I've heard this verse, so I don't need any application. I'm fine with this. And the other group is going to get awkward as we make an application. Now, church... All of us ought to get a little awkward this morning because the more I meditate on this verse, the more I've come to the understanding the difficulty of one day at a time saying, I want to love God with all my heart. Now, when someone is in love with something, it's very obvious. This world that's in love with, it, to me, it, it's incredible to think you take someone that's a gymnast and by the time they're three or four, mom or dad are taking them down to a gym. Not that they naturally love that, but mom and dad are establishing them a love. Maybe they're actually fulfilling their own dreams through the life of a child. And for the next 10 years, there's no other life outside of a gym. No school life, no social life. While everyone else is having a party, they're down at the gym because mom wants that young lady or that young man to participate in the Olympics. So they're going to sacrifice the next 12 to 15 years of their life with the hope of a moment of glory. They're going to be consumed with it. And from the outside, we look at that and say, that's bizarre. 
and 99.9% of them never even make it to that moment of glory that they're hoping for. And then at the age of 20, their life has to be rearranged because now that pursuit or that uh, goal is finished. It's over. Now, if a lost person would be that consumed with that kind of love and that kind of purpose, how is it that we're talking about our God? And let's, let's be honest. Can you imagine how our churches would be revolutionized? If, if we could just begin to fulfill the first command. Because whatever people are in love with, you know it. If they're in love with clothes, you know it. If they're in love with food, you know it. If they're in love with sports or hobby, you know it. And if they're in love with God, with all their heart, soul, mind, and body, these are the men that make the greatest Christians. These are the people that make the greatest missionaries. Occasionally, I bump into this, these people. There is a certain honor and respect that you feel, almost an intimidation when you see someone. We call it extreme. God says it's supposed to be normal. Now, here's what happens. Whatever we love passionately aside from God, it tends to take the place of God. We do understand that. Here's, what, here's what's amazing. The same God that created us with the purpose of loving him is so good and so gracious. He still gives us gifts knowing this gift is going to replace our love for him. Now, consider this for a minute, young people. So you're trying, you're attempting. I want to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and body. And God gives you a job. And all of a sudden, you pour everything he gave you in life into that gift of a job. He gave you the ability to make money. And now instead of loving God and channeling that money for his good, his honor, his glory, you're in love and consumed by making more of it. Now, consider the things we replace God with. A car. How many of you ever seen an 18-year-old in love with a car? And we're talking about junk. Most 18-year-olds I know are not buying Ferraris. They're not buying Maseratis. They're buying $5,000 trucks. How many of you remember that Toyota truck that you want to talk about the redneck mobile of the century, the truck Chris had a few years ago with those homemade bumpers? I remember we, we drove all the way to Temple to look at it. We got out, I mean, it was loud. Uh, I don't know if it was missing a muffler or what was missing. It was so loud and so ugly. And he got in that thing. It was filthy, too. And uh, he said, let's go take a spin. And I said, I am not climbing that truck, son, for a multitude of reasons. But if you want to take a spin, you go help yourself. And he drove it around, came back, big smile on his face. He said, Dad, this is the truck I want. I said, son, you are stupid. But he bought it. For the first two months he had it, I told him I wanted to park at least two blocks away from the church. He said, what about at college? Dad, there's room in the parking lot. I don't care if it's college or not. I still want it two blocks away from the church. Isn't it amazing? The, the junk that we can wrap ourselves into in love and we would trade. Um, now, Grace, Chris didn't trade his love for God for that drug, thankfully. But isn't it amazing what gets us emotionally stirred? I mean, if you watch these kids 
It, we're not talking about high school football or college football. We're not talking about a draft. We're not talking about them playing in the NFL. We're talking about parking lot football. They're all strutting around, carrying a football like they're O.J. Simpson previous to going to jail. Do you, you, you think it, if, if you put a Bible in their hands, why don't they have the same kind of passion? Why isn't there the same kind of fervor? Isn't it strange that you can love football with all your strength and all your heart, maybe not all your soul, but at least with all your strength and all your heart, and you can't love God? How many of you have seen, not just others, because we can easily identify this in others, but yourself, you say, boy, I get really passionate about that. Why can't I get that passionate about God? And here's what I want to be careful of, because young people, when, when we understand the difficulty of having that kind of love and then the difficulty of maintaining that kind of love, because by nature, usually that kind of love is very short-lived. So even if you see it in a vehicle, you see it in a career, you see it in a house, you see it, it it's going to last for six months or for a year, even in a marriage, regardless, whatever it is, rarely do we see that kind of passionate love extend itself over the course of a life. It's got to be maintained. There's got to be some level of focus. It's easy to let that fire go out in young people. Let me help you out because there are adults in here I just can't help out anymore. Nothing helps them. Coffee doesn't help them. Holy Ghost doesn't help them. Holy Roast doesn't help them. Nothing helps them. But I can help you. Here's what God's concerned about. So he gives you gifts. You've got to say, God, whatever gift you give me, I want to make sure that I'm still loving you first and foremost and not loving the gift that you gave me more than I'm loving you. But we're talking about with every transition in life, and life is going to be full of transitions. You transition from grade school to high school, from high school to college, from college to career, to a marriage, uh, whatever it is that you're transitioning to, you've got to say in the middle of that transition, I've got to make sure that I'm loving God more and not loving God less. Because I've watched kids in grade school that love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then they went to junior high and things changed because instead of their focus there, it was, I got to fit in. You know, everybody in junior high has forgotten how to walk. So I'm more focused on how to walk. You know, junior high, you got to figure out how to kind of mess up your hair. You got to figure out how to look dumber than what you already looked in sixth grade. You got to know how to sit with the right slouch. Got to kind of hang your lip, lower your IQ through your facial expressions. Are you making fun of seventh graders? Yes, that's my gift. It's easy to do. All the way through 12th grade, it's easy to do. But I've watched people love God in high school, and then as soon as they graduated, they found a way to stop loving God. Or they love God through college and through Bible college, and then they get their diploma. It's the strangest thing. They cross the platform. That tassel has changed. They walk down the steps, and suddenly their focus has changed. Young people, through every transition of life, you've got to say, in marriage, i got to still love God. If my marriage is going to work, i got to love God with all my mind, my heart, my soul, my strength. Then my marriage will be in order. 
And then God gives me this job, and God gives me another job, and God's giving me a new career, and then I'm able to buy a house, but when I buy that house, I want to make sure my focus is still on loving God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because it's the weirdest thing. It's like a new transition in life moves our focus from God to the gift God gave us. And you got to say, I, I just, I'm not going to allow myself to fall into that trap. Now, here's the problem. It, it changes with time. It's tough to maintain. The, uh, I, I just wrote down it simple. You say, Pastor, this is too simple. It's not. I promise you, it's not. It'd be helpful. Now, let's just make, by way of illustration, let's make it clear what, what falling out of love looks like. Didn't Christ tell church of Ephesus, I have nevertheless have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Now let's just state in a way that all of us might be able to relate to. How many of you are young enough to remember back to your days of dating or courtship or however you define that? Baptists are weird. However you want to state it. Can you even go back that far in your mind? Do you remember the, um, the emotion and the passion of the moment and that person consumed your, your thoughts for just a few minutes? And then you got married. Right? Okay, here's, here's one of the first signs that you're up love. When we begin to express disinterest at mealtime. You know what happens in courting couples? She says, I, I, want, I want you to come where I've made a meal for you. This is a big deal. Boy, there's, I mean, the chicken's still raw and the mashed potatoes are lumpy and <laughs> the macaroni and cheese all sticks together in one big glob. But they sit at the table and it's electric. <laughs> and he savors every raw bite of the chicken. And he picks the whole clump of macaroni and cheese up on his fork and she looks at him and says, don't worry about it. This is some of the best mac and cheese. I can't fit it in my mouth, but it's some of the best mac and cheese I've ever tasted. And over the first few months of marriage, no lady, I shouldn't say no, very few ladies, unless they're a hockaday, very few ladies walk into marriage already knowing how to cook. And that poor husband is the guinea pig. And she says, you like eating out a lot, don't you? And he can't say, because your cooking stinks. But guess what? He's still interested in sitting at the table, no matter what she's placed on the table. Mealtimes are a great moment because you got two people in love. Now, fast forward five years. Uh-huh. If he shows up, if he sits down, everyone's on their phone. Uh-huh. She's taking care of the baby. He's talking about the problems he had at work. Babe, let's just order some Chinese food because this meatloaf, I just don't know if I can do it one more time. Years ago, I had a man tell me, literally, exact words, food just doesn't taste the same after marriage. <laughs> I thought, I hope you didn't tell your wife that. <laughs> now, here's what happens. 
Do you remember when you were in love with God and you come to the house of God and you were fired up in the air? It doesn't matter who preached or what they preached. You were excited to be here. You were listening. You were taking notes. You were highlighting in your Bible. You were saying, boy, that's good. And now you're saying, Pastor, I'm sick of that meatloaf. It doesn't matter who we bring. If we brought, if we brought back Curtis Hudson and Jack Giles and Charles Spurgeon from the dead, you would have the same look. And it's not sickness. And it's not COVID. It's you. Because when you're in love, there's just something there that, that makes the meal special. Let me ask you this. When was the last time meal time? When was the last time church time was something special? Where you walked in and you just said, God, I'm ready to meet with you. And I can tell it's not special because I watch how you hold the hymn book. How in the world could you even sing with us when you didn't realize your hymn book is upside down? Yes, sir. A lot of fire and passion in that song. Your mind is everywhere else except on God's word. Number two, here's how you know if you're out of love. When you spend money on self and petty change on her. You know what happens when you're courting dating? I watch these college kids. They don't have money. But you know where they're spending it? They got a boyfriend. They got a girlfriend. Flowers are not cheap in the United States of America. But they're spending money on flowers. You know why? They're in love. You better enjoy those flowers now, Lauren. You'd be like, boy, thank you for the flowers, but they look a whole lot like the same ones that are on the platform at the church. <laughs> you know what happens when someone is in love? I don't care if it's a sports or a car. I bought a 65 Chevy. I'm going to fix this puppy up. And and that woman's thinking, you just spent $680 on a bumper and I can't get you to give me $50 for a dress? You love that car and I'm somewhere on the list, I just don't know where. Are you understanding? When you're in love, the price of the meal doesn't matter. Well, maybe not so much. I remember my wife is sick this morning. She's not going to be happy that I'm telling this story, but that's what preachers do. So we're dating, and I'm broke, and we're going through Bible calls. I'm trying to pay my college bills and help my sister. And Anyways, and we, we go to uh, one of these all-you-can-eat I don't remember first one of the. I don't remember back in the day. One of those used to be six ninety nine for all you can eat, and the other one was not. It was per item. Well, I wasn't smart enough to take her to first, which was six ninety nine. I took her to one which was per item. Well, she thought it was six ninety nine, and as we took our trace down, and I watched her throw plate after plate on, I began to put my hand in my pocket and say, "Oh Lord, help this." Money to stretch and cover whatever's on that tray in Jesus' name. But once you've been married, hey, babe, put that plate back. What are you thinking? You don't need that anyways. Have you added up the calories on that tray? 
Some of the women are petrified this morning. They're like, oh my goodness. Do you understand what takes place in our hearts when there is not a deep-rooted love? There is literally a foundational change in the way we act, live, think. And you see it in Christians, and here's what I can't do, church. It doesn't matter what I preach. I can't fuss with you or fight with you. I can't use enough scripture or logic. If you do not love God, everything in the Christian life is difficult. And if you do love God, everything in the Christian life is easy. It's that simple. And when you love God, guess what? Giving to the work of God, investing in the house of God is not difficult. Uh, you're out love. You say, Pastor, this is overly practical. You're out love sign. You deprioritize bathing. You, you know what ladies do when they're in love? Girls do. They fix up. They stress out fixing up. Right? They try in two different outfits. They want to make sure that here's in place. Now, fast forward five years into marriage. <laughs> Babe, we're going out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm getting some really weird looks this morning. <laughs> I'm trying to help you out. When we get saved, now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And you love this book. And you're in, you don't even understand it, but you love it. You're just trying to figure it out. And you're reading it. Pastor, did you know that some of the Bible's red letter and some of it's black letter? What's that about? Those are Jesus' words. No way! Yeah. And you're in the gospel. You're highlighting this is so cool. And fast forward five years. Wednesday night, you're like, honey, have you seen my Bible? You left it in the car Sunday night. You know, I got thinking years ago when I was in Bible college, I preached Salvation Army. And that was 1991. And I thought I was, Brother Gear, I thought it was big cheese. I was the chaplain of Salvation Army. I was pastoring 150 drunks. <laughs> I did an illustration one time in a, in a service. I brought in this huge pen, and I had a fire log in there, and I poured some gas in there, and I wanted to preach on the hill. And uh, in the middle of service, I threw a match in there. Woof! <laughs> and the sprinklers went off. You have 150 drunks, mass exodus of the building running over each other. Dr. Vineyard said, what kind of idiot did we send down there? But they got the picture, man. Hell's a bad place without sprinklers. <laughs> but I said, uh, man, this place must be packed all the time. It's packed for meals, but not at night. I said, it's not packed at night. No. I said, you've got to be kidding me. All these homeless people, they come here to eat. They don't come here to sleep. I said, no, because one of the requirements is if they're going to spend night, they've got to take a bath. And you have people who rather spend the night on the street than take a bath. Hold on for a second. I wonder if we told you. Before you come to God's house, you've got to spend every day in God's word or you can't come unless you spiritually bathe. How empty our churches would be. When you're in love, 
it includes this book. When you're out of love, it excludes this book. Thank you, preacher. When you're out of love, you no longer desire their presence. You've seen courting couples. They got to be together. They have nothing to talk about. They got to be together. And they get all emotional about being together. They get all weird about being together. Then after they've been married five years, they don't even sit in the same pew at church. (laughs) At least not shoulder to shoulder. Drive two cars, separate cars to church, separate cars, leave church. You say, you do that, Pastor. That's right, to get here early. You show no public affection. Let me ask you this. Worse in Mexico than it is here in the States. But man, you almost couldn't go to a public park. I don't know how many times I dialed 911. Man, I thought kids had passed out and someone was doing mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. <laughs> now, you need to get here quick. I think that person may die. <laughs> then I realized it was just a dating couple. I have, I, I don't think, I don't think as many parks I've ever been to, I don't think I've ever seen a married couple. <laughs> Church, can you help me this morning? <laughs> you know what happens when you got saved and you're in love with the Lord Jesus Christ? You're telling everyone. I mean, you're telling your family, man, I got born again. What's that mean? I don't know. I just got Jesus. and I, I, I asked him to come to my heart and save me. And I, I don't know what it means. I just know I'm different. And people are telling you, you're weird. You've lost your mind. You became part of a cult. Is your pastor's last name Jones? Don't drink the Kool-Aid, bro. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. You go into work and tell people you're a Christian. You know, there was some level of public affection. Fast forward five years. You can tell couples because he's about 10 steps in front of her while she carries two babies and two bags. And you can tell when someone's in love with Jesus because there's no shame with showing public affection for the Lord Jesus Christ. A track does not cause shame. The reference of the Lord Jesus. A prayer at a restaurant. Now, we can literally, I'd give you 20 things, but some of you did seem disturbed by the first five, so we'll just move on. But can, can we identify the fact that we are not loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Now, Here's, here's what happens. When you have a couple and you, they come up here and they say they're wetting fouls and you can see they're just smiling. They're all happy and we're going to have the best marriage ever. And life is perfect and you're beautiful and everything is good. And then here's what happens. You, you say, what happened to that marriage? Life. That's what happens. You got to go to work. And she has a house to clean, and then she has children, and she has her own responsibilities, and they don't feel as good as they used to feel. And he realized he can't live off chocolate chip cookies, and that's the only thing she knows how to make. <laughs> Life is what happened. And then you've got to find out, okay, this is not about 
proving, and, and here's where people get all mixed up, they, they fall in this trap of their whole life becomes about proving their love instead of expressing their love. And I work a job for you, and I pay the bills for you, and I uh, bought the car for you, and she says, well, I cook, and I clean, and I did your laundry, and but there's never any individual expression of love. That, not even five minutes a day. So all the effort and the time and the energy in church, here's what you got to be careful. I love church. I'm here every day of the week. I determine, I believe the five basics of Christianity is giving and witnessing, going to church and reading your Bible and praying. And here's what I determined years ago. I'm not going to do that twice a week. I'm going to do that every day. I go to church every day. Monday is the only day I don't go to church, and I go to church online because I'm determined I'm going to church every single day. I give every, I don't wait for Sunday or Wednesday. I give every single day of my life. I pray. I, so, I, I don't want to go one day without doing those five things. Not a single day. Here's my problem. I love church, Tony. Loving church and loving God is not the same. And here's what we have in Christianity. We have a world that is so caught up in all the proof. And I'm working in this ministry and I'm helping here and I'm doing this. And I know the doctrine. And what about your time with God? You loving God. We need to say this morning, here's the command. All your heart, all your mind, consuming all your thoughts, all of your emotions, all of your strength to the depth of your soul, God says, everything else falls into place when you do the first. Here's a problem. How can we fulfill the first command if it doesn't even cross our mind? It's not natural. It doesn't happen because you show up for church. Christian, here's what I'm asking you this morning. What if you made a commitment of meditation on the first and greatest command? Now, here's what he told this scribe that came and asked him this question. What's the first greatest command? He answered him. When he finished the conversation, he said, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. Now, if you're not saved, you can't love God in this way. Okay, he was telling him, you, you can't love God this way because you're not born again. You're religious, you're not born again. So let me ask you, first of all, are you born again? Are you a child of God? If not, it's impossible to love God this way. But if you are a child of God, God says, forget every other command in the Bible if you can't focus on this one. Because every other command hangs on this one. And every other command will only be a headache. Let me ask you this. When does marriage become a headache? When love of God and love for that person isn't first and foremost, then marriage just becomes rituals and duties, responsibilities, and at the end of the day, a huge headache. What part of the Christian life is a headache for you? This morning, church, I'm just asking you, do you love God? Did you get up today and say, I want to love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength?